We hope you enjoyed today's episode. It was an awesome one, a very special treat, going to be my all-time favorite. Now that things have started to open back up, just remember you have the choice to go venture out. But if you do, please be mindful of others. If you want to wear a face mask, wear a face mask. If you don't want to, just be mindful. If you're sick, you're feeling ill, stay home. Take care of washing your hands and take care of yourself. Get your vitamins, have some fun, and enjoy your summer. See you next time when you hang with Coach Noonan on the podcast. Wanted to take a moment and tell everybody, hey, we are on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play Podcasts, and some other awesome podcast platforms. So please take a moment and give us a listen, as well as leave us some reviews. Uh, That's really the only thing that I ask from a fee standpoint. Share, review, and keep the, the listening going. Thank you to everybody who's already given us a listen, and as well as those who have shared. And we look forward to many more episodes with some really awesome people in the future. With Father's Day just recently being on Sunday, I wanted to give a shout out to all the dads out there helping to raise their children to be better people and citizens. I also want to shout out to the guys that fill the void of of a father figure in their student and athletes' lives. This is a unique time in our world where more strong and positive influences are greatly needed. Keep doing what you're doing, making a difference, trying to help them help make the world a better place. On today's episode, we are honored to have Coach Terrence Gant. Coach Gant is currently the linebackers coach and recruiting coordinator at Santiago High School in California. Coach Gant is also a Marine veteran, the first on the podcast, and a father of five outstanding children. I forgot to ask him to throw out his social media contact, but if you'd like to get with Coach Gant and reach out to him and talk ball or life, his Twitter is at Terrence. T-E-R-R-A-N-C-E underscore Gant, G-A-N-T. He's a great follow and a great resource. Feel free to reach out to him. Now, let's go hang with Coach Gant. On today's episode, Hanging with Coach Noonan, we have Coach Terrence Gant in the house. Coach Gant is the linebackers coach and recruiting coordinator at Santiago High School. Coach Gant, how are you doing today? Uh, Doing great, man. You know, just... uh... Trying to get this Corona, you know, coronavirus nineteen lockdown. We're still yeah. on. So, yeah. you guys sure. are you're out in California, is that right? So, California. Right. so what California. have they told you guys as far as uh, possibilities to return back to you know just summer workouts or anything like that? We haven't heard anything at all. So, so what do you guys? How do you guys stay in contact with your kids and and what are you asking them to do right now? How do you even keep football in their mind and keep them positive about even possibly playing this season? Um, From March through, it was the, I want to say the first week of June, we were doing Zoom meetings um, and it was pretty much on the position coaches um, when they, you know, when, when, when they were available. Um, pretty much for me, the linebackers, we went every Thursday um, and we just went through, you know, simple stuff, um, you know, because we're on Zoom. So I'd share my huddle and we, we walked through run fits. 
Um, we walked through all our coverages. Um, we went over base formations, um, just trying to keep the kids engaged as much as possible. Right now we're on a dead period um, until Monday. Um, so for the last two weeks, we haven't had any contact with the players outside of a, a huddle message or a text message, you know, just asking how they were doing. Oh, wow. That's, uh, that's gotta be tough. Just not even, you know, be able to talk ball with them in general and, you know, get on, you know, get on zoom and see their face. Yeah. It's been hard. Um, you know, like I said, we, we haven't gotten any word, you know, when, when we can return, what it's going to look like if we can return or if we're going to return at all. And it's, um, you know, it's hard for us to stay motivated. So I can only imagine, you know, how the kids are feeling. Right. Right. Yeah. It's uh, no doubt. Um, so I, I would guess then you, you kind of, you know, you, you draw on your, uh, on your time as a Marine uh, kind of dealing through the unknowns and tough times. What are, what are some things that uh, have helped you kind of, navigate this based on where on the life lessons that you've learned in your in your experiences um for me it was um you know because i'm out here by myself pretty much um I, I would laugh and joke with people and be like you know what this is just like being on ship except i don't get to see the water um so, <laughs> so i mean it was tough uh the first like eight weeks we were locked down i pretty much tried to keep a schedule get up in the morning run you know, work on something um, for the kids for the week and then, you know, kind of watch a movie and then, you know, try to go to bed at a certain time. But like after month two, it was it was tough. It's like I broke that schedule and, it, you know, my sleep was all over the place and, you know, I was kind of lethargic. And, you know, and I was like, man, I got to reel this in because if we do get to come back, I was like, I can't be staying up until four in the morning, you know, watching Netflix, ESPN plus. Um so it's just, you know, being able to tap into that, you know, discipline from then to be able to try to stay disciplined now, um, you know, during this situation. I think it, it's helped me a lot where I've heard a lot of guys, you know, you know, going through depression, kind of feeling down. Um, so, I mean, that's, that's, that's tough. Yeah. You talk about, um, you know, people going through depression and, and, and things like that. Um, you know, you and I had connected, I think, uh, probably either through Twitter or one of the, the group chats that has floated around for a couple of years now. Um, and I've always viewed you as somebody that with a positive outlook and, uh, you know, just always speaking uh, encouraging words, words of wisdom. Where does that come from and, and what motivates you to keep doing that even during a, a very difficult time uh in, in the in the world right now it's it's just a thing of you know i I've, I've been through adversity like true life or death adversity and you know it's tough and so when other people are going through it you just try to kind of be like that beacon of you know and it's easy to be negative you know and it, and it's you know for some people it's hard to be positive and it's even harder to be positive when you're going through something, but, um, you know, faith plays a big part in that. Um, I always got that mentality. You know what? It, it can always be worse. Um, 
And for me, you know, growing up, it has been worse. So, you know, I just try to look at the positive, you know, always looking for the silver lining. Because, like I said, it's easy to be negative. Right. Right. So um, are you originally from California? No. Um, Originally from Indiana. Um, I grew up as a kid in Arizona. Um, And then I spent the majority of, you know, my adulthood up until the age of 33 um, in the Marine Corps. And then I moved back to Arizona for uh, about 10 years um, or eight years. And then I I just moved out here, California, 2018. Okay. So, I mean, I guess I understand, um, you know, being born in Indiana and and the Purdue connection there because you went to college at Purdue, but you were living in Arizona. So why, why go into Purdue over some schools in Arizona or in the Southwest? Um, I, I went to a junior college, um, right after high school. And, um, it was kind of, it was a, it was like a package deal. One of our wide receivers, you know, they kind of got me and, you know, I took it. Um, and, and you know, cause I didn't really know anything about the recruiting process. Um, you know, I had like some smaller schools, like D2, NAIA, a couple of D3s in the Midwest that I probably should have went to and played, <laughs> um, you know, but I, you know, you starstruck, you know, oh man, you know, I want, I want to go there and, you know, and I got there and I was there for um, a year and it was like, whoa, oh man, I, I was out of my league, you know, and, you know, in Arizona, you know, six foot, 215 pounds. I was a big linebacker in Arizona. And like, mm-hmm. I go out there and them dudes are, no, you got cats who's like 6'4, 250, you know, 6'2, two, two, you know, 245. And, you know, it was a little overwhelming. Um, but, you know, also I had, you know, I had kids at that time too. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, my oldest son had gotten sick a couple of times. Um, he had gotten a respiratory virus. And, um, you know, we had, I had to figure, you know, the easiest way to figure something out, you know, when you need health insurance is to join the military. Um, so I went down to the recruiting office. Uh, Tuesday, I talked to the recruiter. Wednesday, I took the ASVAB. Um, Friday, I went down to METS, took a physical, and they put me on a plane Sunday night to San Diego um, to, go to, <laughs> to, to go to recruit training. Wow. Well, Charlie, that's a, that's a heck of a whirlwind. Um uh, you know, I know you're the uh, recruiting coordinator at uh, at Santiago, um, but but what what drew you to the Marines versus Army or Navy or Air Force? Uh, you know what what was their recruitment to you um, like, and wh- why did you end up choosing Marines? Um, you know, I, I tell guys this all the time. It's like I don't, I don't have a patriotic story. Um, I, I first I went to the Army. And, you know, they kind of were giving me, the, you know, come back and, you know, see us, you know, next week, you know, come back and see us then. And um, I happened to come, you know, it was like the third or fourth time I'm coming in and, and the Marine Corps recruiter who's, you know, door was right next door to them. He's like, man, he's like, I've seen you come up here for like almost a month now. He's like, what are they, what are they telling you? And I was like, honestly, I was like, they're not telling me anything. And, you know, he sat me down in the office and, you know, you see all the little posters, and the one that got me was 
You know, it's a poster with the guy's got the cami paint on. He's got the rope around his, you know, neck, and he's in the jungle with holding his weapon. And I was like, I want to do that. He's like, man, he's like, that's infantry. And I was like, I don't care. I want to do it. I was like, it looks, it looks, you know, exciting and tough. And, you know, he sold the story. And, you know, I, I had a great time, you know, the, um, you know, 13 years that I served, you know, had, had amazing, you know, trade it for the world. And if I could do it over again, I would. But, man, it wasn't nothing like that poster. I'll tell you that much. <laughs> where, uh, where are some places that you were deployed to or, or did you pretty much stay in one area? <clears throat> um, so I started off after boot camp. Um, I was stationed at Camp Pendleton. Um, I was in a unit. We did two um, Western Pacific. Went got on the ship twice for six months. Um, I was stationed in Okinawa, Japan uh, for two years. Um, then I came back um, from Okinawa, and that's when 9-11 had pretty much kicked off. Um, and I deployed to Iraq. 2004 to 2010, when I got out, I deployed to Iraq um, four times in Afghanistan twice. Gotcha. And, you know, what what are, what are things that have uh, kind of opened your eyes to uh, the rest of the world? What are some things that you've taken with you from, from your different places of, of deployment? Oh, some of the big things I've learned is, you know, always be, you know, grateful. Um, you know, I've been in some countries where, I mean, people had like, I wouldn't even call it a house. You know, they had, like, they had a structure, um, whether it was like mud or um, brick or mortar, whatever it may be. And like they were sleeping on the ground, on the dirt inside the house. Um, so, you know, always, always be, you know, thankful for you know what, what we have i think sometimes as americans you know we get a false sense of um of pride about you know what we got and we we complain about it and i'm like man you know i've seen people you know sleeping outside you know sleeping on on rugs and you know no shelter and that's how they live their lives and i was like dude you got like a four-bedroom house what are you complaining about yeah you you uh you touched on it towards the beginning and you talked about, you know, it could always be worse mentality. So, you know, the barracks and the, uh, the cot that you guys had was probably, you know, three-star hotel compared to some of the places that you've seen in the, the housing and, and sleeping arrangements for those people in those countries, huh? Oh yeah. Big time. Um, so you, so you're out of the military and you, and then you go right into coaching? Went right into it. Um, I had my oldest son was uh, in junior high. Um, and, I, you know, I'd come home could, and I'd catch his football games. And and I'd be like, oh, my Jesus. Was, you know, I was like, this is bad. Like, this is bad coaching. And, you know, it would, it would be those guys, you know, those typical youth football coaches that, you know, just screaming and cussing and, there's no coaching going on, no teaching. And I was like, I can do better than this. And so when I got out, you know, I, I coached my oldest son, um, youth football that first year. And after that, 
appeared on a, a staff as um, I was supposed to originally come on as um, as the linebacker coach, and then halfway through spring ball, um, the head coach was like, well, "You just call the defense." And you know, that, I mean, the, the head coach was a, a good friend of mine. He was my mentor. And he had just gotten the head coaching job, but maybe like two years prior. And, you know, he was like, you call the defense. And I was like looking at him like me. I mean, I, I, don't, I, mean, I, I understand what you're doing. And, I, I, you know, I get the, the run fit piece and the, and the pass piece for the linebackers. But I was like, I don't know nothing about calling no defense. And, and that's how it all started. <laughs> yeah. And have you always coached linebackers? Um, I've always been the linebacker coach except for one year. Um, when I first moved here to California, the first school I was at, I actually coached the DBs um, because we didn't have a DB coach. And so I wanted to work with those guys just because, you know, based off the coverages we were running, there were certain things that I wanted to teach them um, that, you know, the two other guys that I had on the staff, defensive staff, um, they didn't feel comfortable coaching it. So I coached DBs once. But normally gotcha. I'm a linebacker guy. Gotcha. Yeah, I'm a. I've had a couple of seasons as a defensive backs coach, and that's a that's a tough transition from front to back. And you're used to dealing with the, all the the knuckleheads in the front that uh, need things either detailed or simplified. Um, but uh, you know, a lot of coaches relate football and coaching football to, you know, military tactics and things like that. How much of what you actually learned do you take, um, you know, from from a, a discipline standpoint or, or planning, however it may be, what, it, what applies from the actual military and your time in the Marines to actually coaching these um, kids? Some of the big, the big takeaways I brought, um, organizational skills, um, I, I, I believe that's huge. As, you know, I'm that detailed planner. Um, you know, every minute's accounted for, every second's accounted for. You know, stick to the schedule. Um, I brought that. Um, some of the things that, you know, you come, you know, coming from the military to coaching, some of them aren't great. Um, I had to reinvent myself um, from the beginning because at the beginning I was, I was that yeller. Um, you know, kind of, you know, running it like it was recruit training. And then um, tell me one day, he was like, hey, coach, he's like, you know, just I'm going to just throw this out there. And he's like, I want to see if it, you know, makes sense to you. He's like, if a kid doesn't know how to spell cat, he's like, is yelling and cussing him out going to teach him how to spell cat? And I kind of thought about it and I was like, no, it wouldn't. He was like, kind of think about that, you know, while you're out here, you know, yelling and screaming at the kids. He was like, you don't have to yell and scream to get through to them. He was like, coach them. And um, that really stuck with me because I was like, oh, man. You know, so now it's like, you know, guys that see me coach and they're like, how do you stay so calm? And, uh, you know, I bring up that point. And then the second point I bring up, and I was like, do you watch NFL football? And most coaches are like, yeah, yeah, I watch it on – I was like, how many blown coverages do you see? And they're like, oh, man, like a ton. And I was like, yeah. And that dude's making, you know, millions of dollars a year, and that's his only job in life. I was like, this is a 15-year-old kid who's, you know, worried about AP calculus, you know, AP history. He's probably got stuff going on at home. 
He's in the air because there's women everywhere. And you're screaming and yelling at him on Friday night because he blew coverage. I was like, yeah. it doesn't make sense. Absolutely, man. That's, I, you know, <clears throat> it's, it's such a tough deal sometimes because, you know, our job as coaches is in the hands of 15, 16, 17, 18-year-old kids. You know, especially for me, mm-hmm. coaching in Texas, there's – there's a lot of pressure, especially depending on what high schools you go to to perform. And, uh, you know, sometimes you forget these are kids. And like you said, they've got, they got a lot of other things going on. Uh, and for some football is just, football is just a chance to go hang out. It's not anything beyond the four years of high school. Uh, others, it is a means to an end. And so you can tell, um, but you know, as, as the recruiting coordinator, um, how do you how do you take your experiences and help these young men kind of strive to achieve their goals? Because you, you talked about maybe I should have gone and played at a smaller school versus being starstruck. And I think sometimes these kids are so hung up on the name of the school, but they don't necessarily look at all the details that need, they need to. Um, the big thing I do is after the kids freshman year is over, um, they'll come sit down with me and I'll create a profile. And it's just this huge um, Excel spreadsheet that, you know, it's been refined. I've stolen from other people to put this, you know, database together. And once the kid gets in, you know, first question I ask him, you know, how serious are you about this? And, um, you know, and that's where you, you kind of figure out who's serious about football, who's kind of doing it for the social aspect. And I let them know if you're serious about, you know, you want to this level, I was like, I'm, I'm willing to help you 100%. I was like, but you've got to do your part. And, you know, part your part is, you know, academics, being a care, high character kid in, in the program, like and and I was like and I'm gonna I'm gonna be you know 100 with you. I was like you gotta you gotta perform on film. I was like because it doesn't matter. Um, you know we had a kid that I mean phenomenal kid. You know gr- you know great grades. Um, everybody loved him because his size. Um, he was my outside backer, six two, about two twenty five, two thirty, and he just had a bad senior year. And, you know, he was kind of frustrated. And I was like, man, I was like, you have the ability to go play anywhere. I was like, we get that. But I was like, you just had a bad year. I was like, but, you know, now the kid's going to, you know, Chafee College, which is a D3, and his parents don't have to spend a penny because he's on a presidential scholarship. Yeah. But we've got another kid that, you know, he thinks he's D1, you know, the family thinks he's D1, and he had a, a subpar season as well, and now he's got no home. And, you know, it's frustrating because I'm telling him, I'm like, you know, because there's some smaller schools that are even to this date are still, you know, poaching at, hey, hey coach, is this kid still available? And I'll give you his contact information, but I was like, he's probably not going to be interested. And, you know, they don't understand that process. Um, 
that, you know, if you're serious about this, you got to take what you can get. Because the ultimate goal is to have someone pay for your education. You know, and I think a lot of people miss that factor because they, you know, they believe because they've been told since they were, you know, in junior midget football, oh, you're a D1 athlete. I was like, they, yeah, there's a bunch of great athletes at Division Two, Division Three, NAIA, JUCO level, you know, football because something happened. And, you know, and it's, it's, it's that it goes back to that the thing I talk about adversity, you know, they're not dealing with the adversity. Well, they're just going to, I'm just going to quit. I'm D one or bust. And I'm like, it's not the attitude to have. Yeah. Uh, you know, I <clears throat> talked on a, on a earlier episode with a, with a good buddy of mine. Um, and he's a recruiting coordinator also. And, you know, he talked about <clears throat> utilizing the system to your advantage. Exactly what you said. The goal is not, it's not so much to just go and play at the next level. It's it's to go and have someone pay for you to play, um, you know, and not to say that walking on isn't an option for certain guys, uh, especially if you have the financial means and you want to go pursue a slightly higher, uh, higher level college in comparison to taking a, a D2 or D3 offer on the table. But, you know, it, the one thing that, that no one can take away from you is your education and having that paid for is as, as someone who's paying student loans, I can, I can tell you, can I tell whoever's listening to this podcast episode, uh, take, take the offer on the table. Free money is great. Yeah. Big time. So as a dad, um, how, how do you work with your kids as, as athletes? Uh, and where, what are your goals for them? Um, I, you know, it's like a, it was a double edged sword. Um, um, you know, my oldest, I pushed, I pushed, um, and even, you know, his mom now, you know, my ex-wife, you know, we can, we can, we laugh about it now and we can talk about it, but, you know, people were always telling him, oh, you're great. You're going to be good. You're going to be great. And, you know, I would dissect this game. I was like, this is what you need to work on. This is what you need to do. Um, our house was strictly ran. Um, you know, we didn't have any alcohol issues, drug issues, sneaking out at night because he had a he had a um, a definite curfew. Um, and you know, I was that dad that were like, "Hey, if it's your curfew, I'm gonna be the one there to pick you up. You need to be out there. So if your curfew's at ten, you better be standing outside that house at nine fifty eight. You know, and it and it worked. I mean, you know." You know, through the blessings of the Lord, you know, my oldest son, he's playing, this will be a senior year. He's at UT uh, Tyler playing basketball. Um, my second oldest is a freshman at uh, South, uh, South Mountain Community College playing basketball. Um, you know, and he had to go the junior college route because he tore his ACL um, his sophomore year. But, you know, he had a great, you know, season this year, his freshman year. He'll probably be out of there. Um in uh, December of this year, when the, or the spring when the season's over, um, and my youngest son's doing well. He's actually coming off an ACL tear um, from this Christmas. Uh, he had one in a Christmas tournament, um, but he's doing well. And it was because there was structure, um, you know, during that time as they were growing up, 
Um, I think the best thing ever was when my son, my oldest, he played, he started off, he played football for two years at Arizona Western. And, um, you know, being down there on his own alone, he, he, he went through some, you know, adverse situations and he like called me one day and he was like, dad, if you hadn't instilled the discipline that you instilled in me, he was like, I probably would have quit. And, you know, as a parent, that's, those are the things you love to hear because when you're going through it, you don't think it's getting through, but it's like, you got to understand that you're just planting that seed and watering that soil and it's going to bloom later on in life. And, you know, that was like one of my proudest moments is when he told me that. Yeah, man, that's awesome. How do you, uh, so, so nobody, nobody followed and, and, and played linebacker. Everybody's hooping, uh, you know, where does where does basketball rank in terms of your love for sport? Um, actually, basketball was my first love. Um, only reason, yeah, I played in high school. Um, only reason I didn't pursue it because I was six foot in the seventh seventh grade, and I never grew anymore after that. <laughs> <laughs> Where they they got all the height. Um, my oldest is six six. Second oldest is six seven. And then my son, that's a sophomore, he'll be a junior this year. He's six two. There you go. So they they got all the height, and they got it from their mom too. She she's not short. <laughs> that's awesome. How do you balance being a dad and being dad to your kids at the same time that you're a coach and a father figure to the guys that you coach? Um, with the boys, it was easy. Um, because, you know, whether I coached them or they were on the team, they always knew I held them to a higher standard than the other players. And, you know, other players would strive for that standard because they, hey man, you know, coach Ganton, that, that's what he expects of him, you know, Emmanuel, that's what I wanted to do. Um, with my daughter, it was different. Um, actually I just, you know, made a Facebook post about it. Um, you know, I was like, you know, proud of her. Yeah. She never you know, she's played a couple of sports. Um, she's not really into it, but I was like, you know, when she was young, that was my sidekick. You know, she was at every weight room session, coaches meetings, seven on seven tournament practices, games. Um, she could probably sit down and have a conversation, you know, about football that would blow, you know, most high school coaches out the water. Um, but it, it was fun. Cause it was a family, um, for us, it was a family affair. Um, you know, the kids, you know, we'd go to the game Friday night and then, you know, the youngers wouldn't, you know, would have games on Saturday and it was like a family thing. And, you know, you know, when people in Arizona, when, you know, we were together, it's like, oh, the Gants, you know, that sports family, you know, here they come, you know. Um, so we just made it, it was a family event. It wasn't, um, you know, I was the coach and, you know, I just coached and then, you know, it was Terrence as the dad, it was, you know, it was Terrence, everything, coach, dad, uh, taxi cab driver, um, you know, every, all the kids on the sports team stayed the night at our house. Um, you know, it was it was those type of things. We just made it a family affair. Gotcha. And, and you know, I, I'm, I'm always curious <clears throat> when I talk to coaches who coach their own kids, how do you – what are some things where, – where was the boundary between – Right now, I'm coach versus dad, 
and how did you kind of set aside your dad feelings to make sure that you were making decisions in the best interest of the team, not necessarily to make sure that your kid was getting, getting theirs over uh, somebody else that needed it per se. Uh, for me, that was easy. Cause I was always on the defensive side of the ball and my son was a quarterback. Um, you know, he was always with his coaches. I was, you know, on the other side of the field. The only time we would really be together would be during team. And um, he he would ask questions. Like, he'd be like, hey, Dad, um, you know, what coverage was that? You know, I seen this guy was doing this. You know, you know, what did you guys roll to? And, you know, we'd have discussions like that. But I was never on the same side of the ball as him. And I think that made it a whole lot easier. Mm-hmm. Um because, you know, if I would have been on the offensive side of the ball, you know, what are you doing? You made the wrong read. You know, and I didn't have to do that. And then we had great offensive coaches that I think did a, you know, fantastic job with him and, you know, tailoring the offense to his strengths as a quarterback and, you know, things of that nature that, you know, other than, you know, talking about the game on the ride home, you know, I, you know, we really didn't interact like that. Yeah. Did, uh, did you ever did you ever tell your linebackers to uh give them a little extra love in practice during a full go or anything like that just oh, to see what I, he would do? I, no, I, I never did that because I would have got fired. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. Like I said, I'm, I'm curious, you know, because some guys that you know when we're on the field, I'm not dad. You call me coach, or like you said that you know you hold their your your children a higher standard. Um, you know, because they're direct re- reflection of you in front of everybody. Um, but that's did, – did you ever have a desire to go to the offensive side or you just knew, hey, you know what, I trust the guys over there. I'm going to stay – I'm going to stay in my lane because, you know, I don't want to look like I'm trying to usurp somebody uh, just to be by my kid. I always wanted to be on the defense side of the ball just because I knew defense. I mean, that's what I grew up playing – um, I, I did have one year uh, I was coaching at my alma mater after my first job, you know, coaching with my son after he had left. Um, I was on the offensive side of the ball. And, um, you know, we had a, a great offensive-minded coach. And that that stuff, like, gave me headaches. Uh, I mean, he, you know, he loved, he loved going fast. Um, he was like, I mean, I would say he was a Chip Kelly disciple. I mean, mm-hmm. we, you know, that offense, it was high octane, fast paced. Um, and it was just like, holy moly. I was like, this is, you know, they got, you know, I was only coaching running backs for a little bit. And then I had to take over the old line toward the end of the year. And I was just like, man, I was like, I, I, I get it. Like, if I was to ever to be a head coach, like, the first thing I'm getting is an old line coach. Because those dudes, I mean, holy moly. I mean, I, I, was, I was learning on the fly, but just understanding, you know, the blocking different fronts, you know, the different calls, the different checks, the different protections, you know, who's got who, where are we sliding, you know. I, I was just like, wow. Um, yeah, can I go back to linebackers, please? Uh, yeah, no no doubt, man. I If I'm ever at if I'm ever able to uh, get to a head coaching job, you know, I, making sure I have a quality offensive line coach or two is 
it's top priority, no doubt. That's, those are guys, the, the, you know, those are your infantry guys uh, to relate to, you know, military things. That Those guys are, you got to win the trench war if you yeah. want to win games. Oh, yeah. So, um, I wanted to touch a couple of moments on, on just kind of what's going on. I know you and I have had some discussion uh, about, about things. Uh, we don't have to get super deep into it. Um, but, you know, where, where, where do you see America progressing to? Or how, how do we get to a better point in this country? Uh, because, you know, you've spent time in the military and you're a coach. And you know as well as I do, those two places um, are much better representations of the blending of cultures and the care less of your skin color and, and what your name is and more who you are as a person and your character. Um, so how, how do we get to a better place? What are your thoughts? Um, it, it's, it's tough. Um, you know, I, I, and this is my belief is, you know, as a coach, um, it, it's a, it's a slope um, because there's a culture that you want to build within your program, but there's also, you don't know what those standards of, you know, morals, you know, whatever it may be that that kid comes from at home. And what you don't want to do is, you know, cause a conflict, you know, football. Um, so the, the biggest step, I think the first step is, you know, getting the parents on board, you know, like what is their belief system? You know, how are they believing and working with them? Cause you get the parents on board. I think it's easier to get the kid on board and keep him out of conflict. Um, and, you know, the, the reason I say that is because I, I, you know, I coach in a predominantly, you know, white area. Um, you know, there's, you know, 22 guys on staff from freshman varsity. There's three, um, you know, African-American coaches. Um, we've got three Hispanic coaches and that's it. And that's not even a reflection of our football team. Um, you know, to the football team. Last year we had JJ uh, Ryan Trey. We had five African Americans, and that's that's a that's a team of a hundred plus players. Um, so it's first is understanding, you, you know, like I said, what 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 kind of standards is that kid coming from? Um. Because we, we have the battles all the time where the kid is trying to, you know, portray the culture that we're teaching at school. You know, they try to portray it at home and, you know, they, they get laughed at. Um, you know, all that stuff, you know, leave that trail stuff at school. I mean, we, you know, I get stories like that from the kids and it's it's heartbreaking that you, you would think a parent would be more on board with their kid, you know, embracing something that that stands for something vices just you know kind of free free will in life um so that's the that's the first conversation you got to have a conversation with the parents um because like i said you don't want to put that kid in conflict um and then you know as head coaches that you know they've got to have you know serious conversations with their teams um you know, I know just being around high school kids for the last 10 years, 
you know, the N-word is prevalent across all nationalities. Um, and, you know, it's a word that I hate and I don't allow it. But if that's something parents are letting kids do at home, you know, we're only getting two, you know, two, maybe three hours with the kid. And, you know, he's with his parents the other time. So it, it, it's a it's an uphill battle. But I think, you know, football wise, we can win it if we if we're one proactive about it and not reactive and, and two, you know, ha- have an intentional culture in your program. Um, that's one of the big things I've learned being in this program at Santiago. We're intentional about building the culture because culture is going to it's going to it's going to build whether you're intentional about it or not. But it may not be the culture that you want if you're not being intentional about it. Yeah, no, I 100 percent agree with you. It's it's definitely key to get the get parents involved and, and on board and you're right you know what what we do at practice in the weight room on the field during the week is very small compared to the amount of time they're spending at home and, and you know we have no control over what's at home and and the things that are going on um you know, where my head coach brings up a, a really good point when we talk about the <clears throat> about the the restrictions that we have right now when it comes to uh working working out in summer workouts you know the norm for these kids is not the social distance and wearing of the mask Mm -hmm. Uh, for some it is for others it's not um you know but when they're with us for the two and a half three hours we talk about distancing and we talk about wearing your mask and spraying and sanitizing and, and you know using hand sanitizer things like that um and it's taken some time you know, two weeks in, is it better than day one? Yeah, uh, but it's not perfect, um, and we're still trying to get it there. But you know, it's like I said, we we don't know it. You know, at the other, on the flip side, uh, walking into a brand new school, and and well, for me, the school itself is not brand new, but uh, you know, a new a new school for me, and learning the culture there. Um, you know, it's it's interesting. Uh, but it's a it's a fostering of brotherhood. Um, you know, I, I felt welcomed right away on the staff, and the kids have uh, have welcomed me, and, and I see them interact with each other, and I just it, it's it's great to see. Um, no one talks about uh, you know what what someone's nationality is or anything like it doesn't matter when you're lifting that weight and working out. Um, you know, they go and, and hang out with each other, play basketball, whatever. Um, you know, so I, I just – I wish more people would take the mindset, I guess, that, that you, know, you and I talk about is it doesn't matter when uh, when you when you need somebody, what color they are or what they believe in, as long as they're, they're striving for the same goal you are. And I think, you know, I think we've lost um, the American uh, mantra of, of united. Uh, and I don't, you know, my hope is that we get it back. I just don't know how to, I don't know how we get there, um, without just more change at the top and leadership, um, everywhere, uh, Senate, Congress, um, the presidential office, your local areas. Um, you know, I, I don't know. Yeah, that's a, that's a, that's a tough one. I mean, 
and and it it's it's I think tougher on athletes than it is on your regular student because you know athletes are, are are built into a culture and you know understanding that you know if I you know this guy if I don't help him or you know team we're gonna we're gonna fail um, as to where your everyday student is they're just worried about them um, you know and that's I've been a big you know a big advocate of you know let kids come out and play um you know let them, i mean even if you know that you know they don't have aspirations of you know doing football after high school but let let sports because it allows them to be part of something that's bigger than themselves if you've never been part of something bigger than yourself you think yourself is the biggest thing in the world absolutely absolutely um just to go back to to your uh, your time as a Marine and just, to, you know, talking about something bigger than yourself. And I just happened to be, I happened to have listened to, uh, I've started listening to the Joe Rogan and, and Jocko Willenick, uh episode uh, that they released uh, just recently. Um, how, how do they, he, he t- Jocko talked about leadership and the, the shared discussion and then planning how do they, how do you remember kind of the way that they presented this is not just about you, it's about everybody around you, you know, outside of just the life and death thing. If you're not, uh, if you're not paying attention, you know, someone is going to die kind of possibility. Um, it's something that's like ingrained from the very beginning. Um, well, a lot of people don't understand about the military is um, recruit you at 18 because you're in the best physical shape. They recruit you at 18 because you're in the first, the worst mental shape. So you can be shaped mentally. Um, you know, because when I, I mean, I was a little bit older. Um, you know, I went in, I was 21. Um, so I wasn't like your proverbial out of high school. You know, I joined, you know, I had a little bit of life experience you know, on my own, had kids, um, and, you know, and recruit training, you know, we were always, you know, they'd give you a command and they were like, they'd make you say kill. And I was like, that was like, that was like the weirdest thing. And it's like, you said it so much, you know, that it was just like second nature. And, you know, the thing that and older and you progress in the, in the Marine Corps is everything had a purpose. And, you know, that purpose was to condition you to, you know, if if called upon that you, you could inflict, you know, bodily harm upon someone. Um, and. Uh, so, you know, that's, you know, what was ingrained. So when it came to like teamwork, everything in the Marine Corps infantry is built. You know, and within a you know a company, you've got three platoons and a and a weapons platoon. You know, within that platoon, there's three squads. You know, within that squad, you know, there's three fire teams. You know, within that you know fire team, there's a fire team leader, a grenadier, you know, um, a saw gunner, and then an a gunner. You know, so everything is predicated around teamwork. Like we can't as a cohesive unit. You have to work together. 
you know, the fire team has to work together to make the squad successful. The three squads have to make, you know, work together to make the platoon successful. The three platoons have to work together, you know, to make the company successful. You know, you start talking about, you know, the buying level, you know, the three companies and the weapons company, you know, have to work together mm-hmm. success, you know, to make the battalion successful. And, and, and it just keeps climbing, climbing the higher the, you know, the echelon of the unit goes. So that small unit um, cohesion is like inbreded from like day one. Um, and it carries on, you know, throughout your entire time um, that you're in mm-hmm. service well in the Marine Corps. You know, so it's always about the team. It's not about you. Um, and, you know, watching how things evolve, um, like I say, um, in 2004, you know, we deployed to Fallujah, Iraq, you know, during the second, you know, battle. And, you know, in a, in a matter of, you know, a 28-hour period, I had three platoon commanders. Um, unfortunately, the first one was killed in action. Um, the second one was injured by a grenade. And we, we got a third one. And that was in like a 26 hour period, you know? So it was like, you know, and it, we, we didn't worry because as a unit, as a platoon, you know, we were a cohesive unit that were, you know, each one of them that stepped in, he just, you know, stepped in and would be like, Hey, let's make it happen. And, you know, we go make it happen. Um, so it wasn't just always predicated on one person made or broke, um, you know, a platoon or a squad or a fire team, because everyone, you always train the person up under you to be able to do your job. So just in case something happened to you or, you know, you were, you had a you know medical appointment or you missed the training hour, or you were off to school, you know, the unit could still function without you. So it was never about you. It was always about the unit. Yeah. That makes, that makes a lot of sense. And that you know, definitely uh, brings, brings more understanding to the things that, that uh, I've heard you know, Jocko and other, other um, people who, who talk about their time in, the, in service and military um, definitely kind of enlightens me and, and hopefully brings more enlightenment to others uh, when they listen to this. Coach, it's been, it's been a pleasure uh, and an honor to finally talk to you in person. Well, not in person, but, you know, on, on the phone and, and uh, like I said, I, you know, we've connected through Twitter and uh, it's been, it's been great just to exchange ideas with you. And, and I definitely uh, appreciate you taking the time to, uh, to come on here and talk. Um, you're definitely somebody that I, I, I look to for uh, inspiration and motivation uh, because like I said, you, you're a, you're a positive person. Uh, you're, you're a beacon of hope and light and a, and an unfortunately dark time. Uh, but I, I, I ask you to uh, kind of close us out with a little bit of inspiration, however you want to, you know, what, what are some things that you would tell your kids right now while you're away from them and, and something like that? Um, the, the biggest thing I've been telling them here, um, especially the ones that, you know, we talk via phone or tech, we text each other is, you know, every morning you wake up, you got a choice and, you know, you can choose to, you know, be happy or you can choose to be in the dumps, you know, cause you can't control outside of you. You know, I can't control what happens to me, but I can control how I react to it. And, 
you know, when you have that kind of mindset, um, you know, like they say in the military, if you don't mind, it don't matter. Um, you know, just take, you know, take your lumps. Life is a journey and it's a test. And, you know, there's going to be storms. And, you know, sometimes, you know, when the storm comes, you, you know, you might need to look inside your boat to see if there's people letting water in. Because, you know, all the time the, the water ain't coming. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that's that's another thing is, you know, people will disappoint you, um, but love them anyway. Because, you know, we're all, you know, we all make mistakes. You know, like they say in, in Romans, we're all going to fall short of the glory of, of God. But because of, you know, his sacrifice, you know, on the cross, tomorrow we can be better. Absolutely. Well, like I said, thank you again for, for taking this time. And, and I really appreciate you for uh, for having this discussion. And, and I look forward to uh, future episodes and just future times talking with you. Yeah, man, I appreciate you, you know, giving me this opportunity, you know, to, to speak on this platform. Because, um, you know, it's not every day you get to do something. <laughs> well, this was, this was born from a buddy of mine who said, People actually like to listen to you, and I don't think anybody's actually listened to me. They're listening to whoever I have on, uh, because I try to find people more knowledgeable and uh, at least for sure inter- uh, interesting and entertaining to myself, uh, whether it's one listener or you know 50-something. Uh, every every person on here is special, and, and like I said, you, you hold a special place uh, for me with what you, what you post and, and, uh, not just your knowledge on football. So. Hey man, I appreciate you having me on. Um, I hope you guys have a great summer, uh, moving forward. Um, and we're just biting at the chomps just to, you know, where you guys were, you know, two, two and a half weeks ago. Yeah, no doubt, man. Uh, you guys are the sharks, right? Yes. Man, I hope to see I hope to see the Santiago Sharks doing well. Um, you guys have a great linebackers coach and a great man on staff, uh, and and I hope those kids do do have a great. Se- I hope we all get to play, and you guys have a great season. Hey, thanks, man. Appreciate you. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Hang with Coach Gant. It was a great talk with him, learning about his past as a Marine veteran and as well as has come up in the coaching ranks. Coach Gann is a great football mind and a great person in general. Please remember to listen, review, and subscribe. See you next time when you hang with Coach Noonan on the podcast.